All right. Well, we are starting to get quite a few attendees joining us. So I want to kind of get us started. I know everyone's got um, time slated to participate with us today and certainly want to be mindful of everyone's time. So thank you again for joining Work Now in the Future. I'm Michelle Zuko. I'm our Vice President of Talent and Culture at Living HR. Um, I'm going to be your moderator and host for the next hour. And if you haven't met Living HR before, uh, Living HR exists to reimagine work in ways that build inclusive cultures, optimize talent, and ultimately humanize our experiences. Essentially, we just want work to be better and foster experiences where people can live a good life. Um, pretty easy mission, but certainly um, keeps us busy. We believe in bringing together and lifting voices of amazing humans who are brilliant and well-versed in the world of work. And that's what brings us together today. So thank you so much for our amazing panelists joining us. Um, and thank you to the audience for taking this time to join us today um, from wherever you are in the world. Um, thanks so much for dropping some chats and sharing where that is. Um, we're really excited about having this conversation together and honored that we get to do so. So thanks again for taking the time to join us. Um, typically, we really are hashtag no PowerPoint slides during these sessions, um, but we have an exciting announcement that fits perfectly with our topic today of employee well-being. Um, so one of my team members is actually going to launch um, a quick PowerPoint. Um, today, we're excited to launch our new Wellbeing Works product. It's a full suite solution um, that's really been created to actively prevent burnout and support whole person well-being in your workplace. So it was created in response to the increased rates of burnout um, that really have been impacting so many organizations and their employees. Um, it's rooted in actionable, preventable measures to support whole person well-being. Um, really designed for all audiences, from the employees to the leaders. And our approach is to really transform well-being at work, not only from a clinical or not from a clinical perspective, I should say, but from a self-care and leadership care perspective. It's so so important. So the product and solution includes a wide variety of resources and tools, um, all of which are listed here on the slide. We've got some great visuals for you as well. Um, some of my favorites are the Wellbeing Diagnostic Inventory. That's used for the HR and people function to really evaluate what they're currently offering. Then a Humanly X Wellbeing Inventory Survey for all employees, again, so they can share what's important to them a well-being portal for all roles, employees, leaders, and your HR function, customized action plans for the employers with roadmaps to the future, which are so important, uh, micro-learning videos on whole person well-being, and customized recommendations to support the whole person well-being for your organization. Um, such an important set of resources and tools to really help employees feel supported. Um, it really is the right thing to do um, to really focus on overall well-being, and it ensures that they feel supported and ultimately leads to a more engaged team member. So we're really excited to be able to offer this product. Um, so thanks for allowing us the time to share this with you. Um, the last thing that I want to share before we meet our panelists is our nonprofit partner for today's session. It's the American Cancer Society. Instead of 
charging a registration fee to attend these events. Each month, we collect donations for a select nonprofit, and our team has posted a link in the chat if you'd like to donate. Really, any donation amount helps. Um, in addition, you'll see some QR codes that are on the screen. If you're interested in hosting or joining a team for their annual Making Strides Against, Against Breast Cancer event, you can just scan the QR code and it'll take you right to the registration page. For both of these topics, our, non, our nonprofit partner and our Wellbeing Works product, uh, we will send some information and follow up in our email following today's session. So thanks again for allowing us to share about these two topics. So now we are actually gonna go back to our regular programming and talk more about what we're here to talk about today. Essentially, what we wanna do is talk about what's happening now and what we can expect in the future of work, specifically looking beyond benefits and focusing on whole person well-being. Um, we invited our experienced panelists to share actionable ideas of how to go beyond wellness and understand how to implement whole person well-being for the humans at the center of work. Um, our amazing panel will talk more about this today, and I'm going to pass the mic to them momentarily. But first, I'd like to introduce each of them. We are delighted today to have a few um, amazing individuals to join us. We have Melissa Melanek, PhD, Director of Sales and Strategic Partners, Partnerships at Invista Insights. Claudia Parada, founder of Claudia Parada, Holistic Life Coach and Energy Worker. Dr. Ray, CEO and naturopathic doctor, Christina York, principal and alchemist at Create & Co, and Ariel Belgrave-Harris, CEO at Jim Hookie, a women's health and fitness coach, and also a corporate wellness consultant. So we're so happy to have each of them here. Before we jump in, you'll see a few housekeeping notes in the chat. The chat is something we encourage you to use often. We really want to hear from you and we want you to engage with, with each other. So please do so. You'll see also a few poll questions that will be throughout our discussion and we'll address and publish those results at the end. Um, feel free to also add questions for our panelists in the Q&A feature at the bottom of your Zoom window. Um, and then you'll see here, uh, our resident artist, Elle Powell, is joining us today to really create a digital live art experience um, to document and share with us visually all the great information that's being shared today. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to each of the panelists now to further introduce themselves. Um, if you could also add where you're broadcasting from and maybe include a leading thought or something that's really top of mind on this topic of whole person well-being, that would be wonderful. Um, as each of you has an opportunity to share, I invite you to pass the virtual mic to the next person so we have an opportunity to meet each of you. And let's go ahead and start with Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for showing up today. Um, my name is Dr. Ray. My full name is Rive Babor. I am a naturopathic doctor and functional medicine doctor that's based out of Sacramento, California. Um, for some who are not familiar with naturopathic medicine, um, the easiest way to think of what is an ND or a naturopathic doctor is we're primary care physicians um, who use natural therapeutics, 
as a first line um, for treatment um, in lieu of um, pharmaceuticals and surgery. We really focus on nutrition, lifestyle medicine, uh, stress management. I also incorporate in my practice of like meeting people where they're at from an energetic perspective, um, you know, you as a spiritual being. Um, and what we do is we, you know, in my practice, we try to discover where are your pressure points? Where are the areas in your life that is, you know, causing you to not feel as healthy, not present as your best self. Um, you might even be, you know, having chronic illness and disease that need to be addressed. And perhaps even conventional medicine isn't addressing that as well as you would like. Um, so we, we focus on personalized medicine, and that's really the leading thought that I have is the importance of personalizing um, for individuals and their specific needs or specific circumstances that we can't continue to operate from a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, we really need to meet each other where we're at, and uh, I'm really excited to be part of this panel, and I'm looking forward to hear what everyone else has to share. So uh, without further ado, I'll, I'll pass the mic to whoever would like to take it next. Melissa, would you like to step in, Dr. Melissa? Thank you. I am also so excited to have the opportunity to be here. As they had shared, so I'm a clinical psychologist by training, background specialty in sleep and anxiety and really understanding how sleep and anxiety can impact optimal performance. And with the work that I've had the pleasure of doing with Invista through PAR for many years, we really are diving into workplace well-being from looking at the assessment standpoint to really understand what's going for the whole person. We recognize that when you walk through the door at work, you don't leave the rest of the life behind you. And especially in the last year and a half, whenever for many people working remotely and working hybrid, that life is happening right around and we've brought work into the rest of our life. So it's been amazing to have the opportunity with Invista to go into businesses and organizations, do a deeper dive and look at the comprehensive Person to better understand how physical and financial, social, emotional, and workplace, all these aspects of well-being come together to look at this general life satisfaction, ability, experience, positive emotions, and then how that can impact not only just engagement, burnout, turnover, but really we know that there may be some of these issues and concerns, but what's really driving it? How can we really help people define that sense of who they are from an emotional standpoint, as well as within the workplace? So really excited to have this conversation to talk about how we can impact people and improve quality of life, as well as bottom line for individuals. And I am hailing from Charleston, South Carolina and working with PAR and Invista based out of Tampa, Florida. So I will pass the mic to Claudia next. I knew it. I knew you're going to pass the mic to me. Um, <laughs> good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be on this Rockstar panel and to be, have the chance to, to share with everybody. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Dialing in from San Francisco, California, occupied a lonely lands. I am a holistic life coach, energy worker, as well as a marriage and family therapist trainee. And I help people of color um, release their self-doubt and step into their truth. Um, and so a lot of ways in what that looks like is we look at and discuss and explore how have we internalized the systems that it is that have conditioned us? And how can we uncover what our own truths are so we can really step into our best lives? Um, so that means looking at the mind, body, and spirit and integrating all of those pieces um, 
in, yeah, in what our, our truths are and how can we can permeate that into our whole life. So very excited to share with all of you today. Thanks for having me. And I will pass it on to Ariel. I knew you were going to pass it on to me, Claudia. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Ariel Belgrave. Um, and as mentioned, I am CEO of Jim Hookie, a health and wellness coach for women uh, specifically, and a consultant for a lot of tech companies. And I, I, I like to share my background because it's quite interesting um, because I'm this hybrid of having worked in the corporate world, specifically in HR. My focus um, was workplace culture, employee engagement, employee experience. And while working full time, I was working in the last six years in the health and wellness space as a coach. So last year I took the leap um, and decided to go full into this work. And it's been really exciting and timely, especially during the pandemic um, where well-being as we're gonna be talking about today, there's a shift in how we approach it um, in different organizations. So uh, I specifically help companies think about inclusivity uh, when it comes to well-being programs for women. Um, oftentimes, you know, there, we may find that programs are very cookie cutter. It's one-stop shop all in one and may not cater to the different lifestyle uh, that a woman may lead and just even other demographics. So I do have a framework that I typically use for my clients, which are usually working women and or corporate, uh, and it's lean. So the L stands for lifestyle, the E exercise, A is attitude and N is nutrition. And when I speak about these things, it's really thinking about that whole person, how lifestyle really matters on it being effective for employees, um, exercise, attitude, nutrition. So Super excited to dive more into that in this conversation today. And I am currently based in New York, I actually moved from California a few weeks ago. So in an entirely different space. Thank you so much. And then I think last but not least, Christina, can you share with us? Um, Christina with Create and Company. Um, I feel very privileged to be on this panel with all these ladies. Um, a lot of workplace experience here and also just personal well-being experience that I would love to tap into as well. Um, my background's a lot different, I think, than everyone else here because I'm on the design side of things. So um, as a firm, you know, we really feel like the space can help um, not only support, but can and help transform well-being and culture within a company. Um, so our, you know, our strive, our, our goal is always to get to the heart of the business, the heart of the people, um, understand, you know, what makes their space um, successful to them, what makes it safe, what makes it um, productive, what gives them the best, you know, self that they can come to work with. And um, I love that, you know, we've had this opportunity, you know, as, as bad as so many things have come out of COVID and the pandemic, I love that we actually have this opportunity now to kind of redo it again. You know, offices have not always been the best place to find well-being, and we all are well aware of that. That's why we're here um, to figure out how we're going to move forward and how we're going to do it better almost this time around because we have these opportunities to just start thinking about how people come back um, and most importantly, why are they coming back to the office and how can all of us um, designers, HR folks, um, the teams that are going to help those people get back, how are we going to help them feel safe, feel included, um, and then get this, this whole new hybrid, you know, work down. Um, so I'm excited to see what everybody has to say about that. 
love some input on what you're seeing in spaces and needs that maybe um, us as designers and architects can help more um, in what we do for folks in the workplace. So thanks for having me. Thank you all for sharing and introducing yourself further. I think it's really great just to kind of hear your backgrounds and some of the work that you're doing and how it's so key to this topic today. Um, to get us started, I thought we could talk a little bit because it's been brought up here and there um, in our conversation so far. Obviously, the last year and the pandemic has really put health and overall well-being at the top of many of our minds. Um, so I'm interested to see, you know, from your experiences, what are individuals or even employees looking for in terms of well-being now and in the future? I feel like over the last year, a lot of that has changed for many people. And so I think it'd be interesting to see if there's some similarities that you're seeing in the work that you do. Um, so Dr. Ray, maybe you could start us off and share kind of your perspective on that. And then we'll just kind of do roundtable discussion. Sure. Um, so I do have a very diverse um, group of patients that I work with. Um, and, you know, they have they, they present from different backgrounds, different needs, but definitely within the last year, I have seen an uptake in um, adrenal um, HPA mm -hmm. access dysfunction. Um, we say that, that, well, it used to be called adrenal fatigue, but now, you know, we call it HPA access dysfunction to really highlight the correlation between the brain, so the hypothalamus, the pituitary, as well as the adrenal, how they communicate. And I bring it up because when you're under a lot of stress, chronic stress, um, and you're not feeling that you're managing it as, as well as you would like, or maybe there's circumstances and barriers that are coming up against you for managing that, work, a pandemic, homeschooling your kids, <laughs> managing everything, you know, being shut up at home, you know what I mean? Like those are those are very, you know, that, that situation is something all of us have been in in the last year. And I've seen in my patients where stress has been a big piece, not being able to sleep. Um, also feeling with their work. At first, it was great to be able to work from home. But now what's coming up to that is this work-life balance issue where, you know, you're kind of expected to be on the clock longer or be more readily available, even if it's after hours or even if it's, you know, I'm just trying to get ready and get my kids ready in the morning and feed some breakfast. And you're trying to tell me to pop on a call at 7 a.m. And, you know, I just need a little moment, please. <laughs> you know, so I've definitely seen them come up and, and, and express that, like, what do I say? What do I do? Um, and what I really have, have pushed forward um, beyond just talking about the medicine piece, beyond just talking about the treatment, but really talking about, you know, boundary setting, um, recognizing, you know, what's causing this extra anxiety, what's causing this extra depression. And we know, like, again, there's a pandemic going on, of course, but there are some folks that didn't experience that level of anxiety and depression. There are some folks that haven't felt as much stress as others. And so I've just been trying to encourage my patients um, to be mindful. I think really a lot of mindfulness of, you know, where are you seeing this fear come up? Where are you seeing the stress come up? Um, a lot of it's in the unknown as well. So I've been trying to, you know, do my best to just offer reassurance that I think at any point in human history, there's always unknowns. <laughs> You're never going to get beyond that. Um, it's really about tackling what's in front of you today, what's presenting to you today. Um, but, but yeah, I would say stress, sleep, anxiety, depression, uh, going off in their nutrition. So gaining weight, a lot of weight gain. I've definitely had more clients come in this last year due to weight gain and just saying like, I've been stress eating. I've been emotionally eating. I've been binge eating. Uh, you know, I haven't been moving around. I, I haven't been getting my steps in. I haven't been able to go to the gym like I normally do. I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of doing online stuff, you know? So 
really working with them on coming up with strategies, ideas that are personalized for them. So not only is it something that they can start to become consistent and compliant, because if it's something that you can't be consistent and compliant in, um, you're really not going to get the benefit of doing the practice. The practice is all about repetition day to day, you know. So if something isn't working for you, you know, it's asking what's not working for me. Um, and then also not being afraid to, you know, speak around to your relationship. So another thing I've seen come up, and I'm not going to dive too much, maybe um, from a psychologist perspective, you know, you'll be able to dive in more on this, um, Melissa, and even Claudia as well. But um, relationships, I've, I've noticed quite a bit of, you might not think that's a big piece of medicine, but it really is finding out for people in the last year, just being locked up with certain people <laughs> and personalities and personalities that you were fine as long as you're getting out the house for a few hours every day you had your thing i had my thing you know we come back but now recognizing that when i'm seeing you 24 7 all the time you know when i'm around my kids all the time i have no retrieve i have no nanny i have no you know, I can't even drop them off as grandparents to get a, a break. Um, you know, that's been something we've had to talk about whether your social situations are toxic for you. Um, what do you need to do to speak up and to engage in, you know, meaningful and productive conversations um, to shift that? And even at work, you know, not being afraid of there being punitive uh, reactions where if you do say, mm, I don't want to do the Zoom call. No, I don't want to have my video on. <laughs> no, I don't want to do four meetings back to back. Can we, you know, can we maybe break it up? Um, you know, no, I don't want to do a, a 9 a.m. meeting every single day. <laughs> I don't have to. You know, those have been some of the things coming in around, you know, folks that believe it or not, yeah, they got the medical conditions, but really it's been like the, the social, the social piece, uh, the lifestyle piece, and even economics. That's been another issue. A lot of people lost their jobs in the last year or, you know, were either furloughed or laid off. Um, and certainly that plays a role in access to care, access to medicine. Um, things as such. So I know I put a lot on the table, but I guess that's the point of point the finger that there isn't just one thing, right? There's so many different little pieces that are popping off, and it looks different for each of us. And so we are up in a new challenge of how can we present a new way of you know living in general and incorporating all these pieces so that um, there's somewhat of a balance. People don't feel like they're drowning. So I was going to jump in on a couple of those things that you shared. One, I think that's so interesting, and I, I love all the points that you're making, and seeing, we're seeing so much of that in different contexts. But one, we had a lot of people that were already under stress in the beginning, and so that I think as a society, we're so used to being in that context of, well, we're just in stress, and we very rarely get back to that baseline anyway, and especially with that constant chronic day in and day out. I use the analogy of that simmering kettle, where it's easier to go from simmering to boiling, and we were seeing that it just built and built and built, and we came to this new baseline where people weren't having that opportunity to really decompress. As you're talking about in the workplace, we saw that the average employee was averaging at least an extra hour a day on their work day because we didn't have that commute we didn't have that decompression time and now you have people with different schedules and maybe they're with their kids in the afternoon so then they're trying to get to their inbox at night and someone's sending an email at 10 o'clock at night and now we're trying to meet those expectations because we want to make sure that people know that we are working and if some were in different time zones and people are in different spaces and it's okay I'm going to roll out of bed and immediately start checking my emails because I want to make sure that I'm showing that I'm present and that at nighttime if I'm getting an email at 10 o'clock at night I want to make sure that I'm responding we already had society telling us this whole you snooze you lose time is money and it was that badge of honor of who's working the longest 
But what we found is that we know that the people are the most engaged tend to be the ones that are at highest risk for burnout. And so we saw leadership that felt that they needed to set that example. You have the employees, as you said, with the economics and with working that were worried, well, I need to make sure that people know that I'm present and that I'm showing up so that I keep my job. Maybe I'm the only one in the family that is still working. How do I find this balance and those pieces? And so as so much of that was coming up, I think that that's a big piece that we were seeing too, of folks wanting to make sure that they're showing that they're working, feeling like they can't take that time off we know that research shows us that people that take that vacation are actually better at being more productive and having that quality of life. But why should I take a vacation if I can't travel anywhere? Or I don't want to take a vacation and I don't have backup. So I'm going to come back to more of a full inbox and tasks. And so it's going to be even more stressful to be gone and people aren't taking that time to recharge and to decompress because they're worried that it makes them look weak or lazy. Plus now with so much of the, the Zoom and Zoom fatigue is a real thing of all their, our virtual connections that you can go from meeting to meeting to meeting because you're not having to walk or go to another location. But that means we've lost that opportunity to take a bio break or to eat lunch or to even those small things or even to respond to an email. So now we're having to add time at the end of the day. And so as people are starting to get back into the office and we, I, we've been talking about it as return to office. I was speaking with a group last week and they said, it's not return to work. We've all been working. It's that return to a different location and how much we had transitioned and now it's trying to transition back. People aren't eating well because they're now not at home and have access to the refrigerator or we're still back to back. So, so many of these pieces of that work-life balance, but also setting the boundaries, feeling that pressure and engagement is important, but we really need to be protective of that decompression time. I keep saying you know, that phrase, self-care isn't selfish, to really be able to refocus and fill our own cups as well. So many great things mentioned here. I feel like I'm like, ah. Um, so to piggyback up on a couple of things, I know we definitely want to make sure there's some like action items. So Dr. Ray, you spoke about um, just feeling, or both of you actually, having feeling like you have to, to work more and it may be hard to really differentiate what those boundaries are. Something that I've seen implemented uh, for some companies that has worked really well is, uh, and this has to happen from the top down. So what I'll say generally is what employees are looking for is wellness support that's so deeply embedded into the culture and starting from the top down, if it's not happening there, then it may not be as relevant or people may not be inclined to do it. So as far as setting that boundary on work, work on, work off, I've seen commute hours, like fake commute hours work really well where people are encouraged to kind of block those times and assume that, you know, if your, if your commute was X or typically this time, then block those out, whether it's start of day, end of day, or even if you need a gap, right, to have dinner with your family and so forth, and then hopping back on later is having respect for that rather than just plowing through the day until you close your laptop next to, you know, it's like 11 o'clock. Um, the other thing is uh, just a mention of how it fuses into performance management. So what I saw in the very beginning, uh, even now, is that there's this, especially when you're in an environment where performance management, you want to give your best. And when you're working remotely, you may not even know, a lot of companies are trying to figure out what that looks like. What is someone, you know, over exceeding or meeting expectations? So being very clear as a company on what that looks like for those working remotely. And now we're getting into this hybrid world 
I just challenge companies to think about what that will look like for someone who's in the office versus working remote because expectations may be different. How they can show up is definitely going to be different. So thinking of that on the performance managed front, uh, what I've also seen in general is a desire for community and accountability. So while companies may, you know, have the assessments and, um, and, and have things that are part of like the benefit package, there's a desire to have conversations on the real, the realness of working remote, the realness, as Dr. Ray mentioned, of waking, I would say 95% of my clients who are women, they're coming to me saying like, I've, wake, I've gained weight, I'm emotionally eating, there's so much stress, I don't know what to do. And their job, their employers may not be creating spaces to talk about that. So creating space for that type of employee experience where there's community and, and gathering, but even you know workplace challenges and things where you can kind of normalize that things are tough right now is super important. So those are some things I just wanted to uh, mention. I love all those like real world examples. Some of the things that I was thinking of as a few of you were sharing some information and insights is um, in terms of like the Zoom fatigue conversation, that certainly is a real thing. And so one thing that we try to do when the weather is a little bit more um, bearable, being in Tampa, Florida, it's pretty hot, but walking meetings sometimes where we get on the cell phone, go old school and talk on the phone instead of a Zoom, um, which I think is really nice. And um, I love the idea about the blocks in the time of the day, whether it be not to have a meeting or just to have a break in between so you can take care of family commitments or just give yourself five minutes to pause. So great advice. Claudia, from your perspective, like what are you seeing out there? Um, thank you. Yes. So, so many great things that have already been said, and I, I resonate uh, with a lot of what was said already. Uh, what I would like to add is um, what I'm seeing really is this uh, need for support in uh, awareness-based practice, um, which just means that uh, people who are in uh, the workplace, I would really like to see support, uh, just like uh, Ariel said, from the top down in um, understanding when they are going towards burnout. Because we internalize uh, this uh, need to constantly be giving and constantly be producing and be on. Um, how can cultures, how can we create a culture where we can support um, staff all the way through and through to, um, to know themselves well enough to say, hey, I'm starting to um, feel burnout. Where are those early markers early on? Um, before we get to the point of I'm done and I'm burnt out. Um, so that's really what I'm um, seeing on when, when I talk to my clients one on one, but also understanding that um, that a lot of us don't don't know that. So uh, the space really needs to come, as Ariel said, from the leadership to be able to um, really say like, yes, I welcome this conversation and I'm going to support you in that exploration. Um, because we're kind of all learning, right? Um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's what I'll say for that. I think that's really some good information. Christina, do you have anything you'd like to add to the topic we're talking about here now? 
Um, I think this is a lot of feedback that we hear from our clients who are, you know, on the employer side, you know, trying to figure out how to mitigate a lot of these challenges, you know, it's really interesting um, to go through that a lot of these things are HR and our policy, um, you know, and is definitely driven by the culture. Um, so I think that's what we really enjoy the opportunity to be able to come in um, and help create a space that can support that. Um, and so we do have a lot of these same very, you know, conversations, you know, I, sometimes we say, I want to be a designer when I grow up because we wind up being, you know, well-being experts and psychologists and, you know, pull up a couch because we need to hear everything that you have going on. And because we take such a deep dive in the beginning of a project, we really get to the heart of a lot of these issues so that we can help at least, you know, on our side of it in the physical space um, can offer, you know, a place for that, a good, you know, solid environment ecosystem for people that are coming back to come back to. Um, and, you know, so many great comments were made here. So I'm just, you know, trying to kind of navigate a couple of those. And um, I think the one of the big things is, is creating those boundaries, you know, and people that are at home, maybe they're doing great, but they need a space to come back to. And so that's part of, you know, the conversations we're having with clients right now, and particularly with this new developments that are happening, you know, are they actually ready to come back? Um, but a good point that keeps coming up too is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of um, thoughts around not wanting to come back because they're doing great at home, but then we see a lot of the other side too. Uh, like we mentioned before this call started, there might be a dog in the background. There might be some other things happening. Um, they could have a very unhealthy at-home environment. I'm sure that you all get a lot of those conversations too, whether it's abusive or um, you know distracting or whatever the extreme may be. There's still a lot of benefits of being able to get out um, to have a place they can go focus, you know, it has the right tools, the right technology and all that they might not have available at home. So that's the beginning of where we kind of start having those conversations with clients is as we're coming back, why? Why do people need to come back and how can we give them that space? And really it comes down to variety, you know, and that's, um, you know, touches on that diversity. Not everybody learns the same, not everybody works the same. We all have different work styles. We have different things going on in our heads. And so, you know, my favorite place may be sitting in a lounge chair, you know, something going on the TV and someone else may need to really shut it down. And so we're working really hard to provide a lot more diversity of space um, so that we can create enclaves and meeting spaces and places that folks can um, either focus or can socialize because that's the other big thing that we're missing right is all the relationships and so um, you know as we make our way back to the office um, not just back for work we're back for all of these other things this culture building um, and what everyone's been missing you know and that face-to-face -face time so um, I think those are a lot of really good interesting observations and <laughs> They've led to some really great conversations, especially in the last, you know, eight months. I can imagine. And I think, too, your point about having a diversity of space in terms of having different places that people can go, depending on what they need to accomplish for that moment. If it's a phone call. Maybe they need a more private space. If they're, you know, going to look through some information, maybe they can do that along with a colleague in a shared space or something like that, as long as they feel comfortable doing so. So nice to be able to get up and kind of change your scenery every once in a while and certainly helps with your own headspace. Um, so we have a poll that looks like everyone answered on a scale of one to five. How important is it for you to have a culture of well-being? And you can 
can see it's pretty high here, both four and five um, being unanimous. So um, certainly very important right now. Um, some of you have mentioned some really good ideas and tips that employers can take. Um, are there some other like first steps that you think would be really helpful as employers start to look more at like whole person well-being? And, you know, obviously they're going to offer the traditional benefits, but what are some other first steps that they can take to really help that employee feel more supported on a holistic approach? Ariel, do you want to maybe start us off? Oh, sorry, you're on mute. My mind is, is, is thinking on this one. I want to make sure I give if, if someone else is ready to go. Um, Claudia? Claudia. Yeah. That's me. Great. Um, this question really excites me because of um, really what just feels super present and passionate for me is that conversation from the bottom up. So just asking directly to the employees, what is it that uh, you're wanting and needing for support? And again, creating that trust and safety within that conversation to be able to, to bring uh, what it is that they're wanting and needing forward. Um, and, and then backing that or, or supporting that with uh, action, right? So I think that sometimes we can have these conversations and kind of give ourselves a pat on the back and say, all right, we talked about it and that's cool, but really um, implementing that into policy as well as um, uh, actual tangible things for them. Yeah, that's a good one. So that that's exactly, I, I entirely agree with that, Claudia. I'm asking employees what they need. That's my employee engagement uh, side. So, you know, having the right surveys. Uh, the other thing I would say would be you know, I know that not every team may, or not every company may have the, the budgeting to have entire wellness teams. So making sure that there's time taken for even having, you know, even if it's like wellness ambassadors that are employees themselves who can help speak to it, because yes, top down is super important. Getting that data and information is what's going to drive action, but making sure there are people on the ground who are a part of this larger conversation. And that may even include having training for managers as what that looks like. So I think having people who are, you know, cheering on whatever action that needs to be taken can help, can help uh, kind of make employees even more excited uh, about whatever things being rolled out that would be new on the wellness side of things. I did have um, a thought that popped up from this last year that I see. So this has been the last year I've received more FMLA forms than I, than I have ever. <laughs> and some of them were approved and some of them were not approved. So I think that's critical is um, when we're talking about um, leadership, we're talking about HR and, and, and managers and directors. If, um, if someone is, is asking and requesting to use their FMLA um, or even you know their short-term disability because for some people it really has gotten to that critical level unfortunately and I've even had to tell some of my guys like you've got to leave right now like you, you can't you don't have three months you don't have six months to keep going at this pace 
you need to take a medical leave in order to focus on you and get yourself back on track. But unfortunately, in that process, um, you know, either I've been, you know, when I filled out the FMLA form, um, they didn't accept it from a naturopathic doctor, even though we are licensed primary care doctors. So I think that's something that is done on a case by case, uh, you know, corporation by corporation setting. It's not necessarily something that's set, you know, in stone by the state. So I would ask for employers and corporations um, to consider your policies around who you are receiving, you know, FMLA, if they are licensed primary care doctor and they're seeing them, it doesn't matter if it's not within the insurance that they're seeing someone who's a licensed provider and that provider is saying, I think it's in the best, uh, you know, in the best good of my patient uh, to have a break, give them eight weeks, give them, you know, give them the time they need, you know, let them take their vacation. I've also seen that come up where, employees would say, I tried to put in for my vacation. <laughs> I tried to take it, Dr. Ray, but uh, I got trumped or I got told that I have to wait until this time. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's absolutely unacceptable. Uh, your projects need to be better managed uh, by your team lead so that you can have that break and someone else can come in and, and cover for you. It's unacceptable that you can't take, a, you can't even use your free time that you've done work, your paid time that you've worked for all because someone else is unwilling to let you go rest. So I think that's something to think about as leadership is making sure that you're encouraging your employees to take vacations because they need that time and space just to even ask themselves, what do I need? Sometimes it's hard to have that conversation with your, with your boss or your employer about you know, what they can do for you if you haven't even given the space and time to think about what that even looks like. So give people their FMLA, give people their vacation time, you know, and be willing to, you know, be flexible and have the support systems in the company so that people don't feel that when they leave uh, for, that, for themselves for that moment, that they're coming back to punishment, they're coming back to a, a bunch of stuff on their plate, because that's not helping either. If you go for a couple of weeks and you come back and you have all this stuff on your task list that no one, none of your team's mates helps you to, you know, to, to manage. So consider that. I love that. And one other thing that I want to mention um, are wellness dollars. So yes, do, do your due diligence, understand what employees need, but also have conversations with your insurance carriers. Um, wellness dollars is something that is almost like a, a well-kept secret that a lot of organizations aren't utilizing. So make sure that you're having those conversations because these wellness dollars are essentially available funds that are held in reserve for companies for you to be able to uh, invest in health and wellness programs for your employees. So make sure you have those conversations with your insurance carrier. It really depends on how many people you have in the organization. It depends on you know, what programs you wanna create, but there is money for you to be able to budget that. Uh, oftentimes is not put out there in the initial conversation, so you have to ask. So make sure you know about wellness dollars through your insurance carrier. I love everyone is sharing. I wanted to, to jump in on a couple of things as well, where there's a difference between kind of asking a question to check a box and employees recognizing that when you're asking the question that they know that it's genuinely being asked. And so if it is, whether it's checking in with an entire team, but also making sure that you have those opportunities to have the one-on-one, -on -one, 
And it's amazing the power of just saying to somebody, how are you doing? And then pausing for a second and creating that space for the employee to share at whatever level they want to share. I think it is important for managers and whether it's you know executive level or middle management for them to also have support to know to be able to ask those questions. And it's okay to ask the question and not have the answers, but just for someone to genuinely. So if we're talking about creating that culture of well-being and having that space where having the opportunity to say, you know, how are you doing? Have that pause, give that space. If you don't know the answers, you have the team and support to be able to refer or to use those resources. I think also to recognize one that we we don't have to, we don't want to assume that we know that everybody's going through the same experience. And so that what one person's burnout is going to look like someone else's or someone's comfort level of using resources. It's so important to over communicate those things right now. Don't just think, oh, I'm going to send one email and people are going to know what I have out there. There are so many changes. There has been such an overwhelming of a zillion emails and Zooms and other pieces that we want to communicate it in different ways. As we are returning to the office and we have folks that are hybrid and some that are in the office and some that aren't, that people are going to be missing out on those opportunities to have those you know, we used to use the terms of the water cooler conversations or just popping in someone's office. So making sure that we are being overly inclusive of what's being communicated, what resources are existing, even if it is taking a few minutes at the beginning of a meeting and letting everyone share a personal win or something positive to create that environment and have that connection. We spent over 90,000 hours of our life with our coworkers. So let's be able to foster those relationships, knowing the importance of that social support to build and to grow those opportunities. And from a management standpoint or whoever's scheduling the meeting, schedule it specifically for 25 minutes instead of 30 or for 50 or 55 minutes instead of 60 so that we have that forced break in between to take those few moments. And I love what everyone's sharing uh, when we're having the opportunity, when we're encouraging people to take that time to have some systems in place that they really can have coverage, that they can take that, not just saying, oh, great, take it, but what are the systems and structures and now may not be the time to do a complete change and a revamp. But if there are certain things where we're asking people, you know, with Invista, we obviously do the deeper dives to not make the assumptions on what's driving burnout or what's driving these different pieces, but to better understand it, there may be certain systems and, or processes or things that we can't make changes to, but let's communicate that. Say, okay, we heard you, and this is why we've had to make these tough decisions. Even if it is relaying information that maybe wasn't, the response that people wanted, still communicating that helps people to have that higher sense of perception of fairness, to have that, we hear the buzz terms of psychological safety in the workplace, to understand why things are happening. It's not as leadership that we have to justify it, it's just people feeling more informed, people feeling heard, knowing you heard what they said, this is the action that we're taking. It's amazing how that helps people to feel more of that sense of driving and where they're at and inclusion and being heard and also helps to reinforce the why of what we're doing that's important, even if they feel like it's the smallest piece of how they contribute to the mission, how that helps people to have more of that sense of that, that belonging and social support as well. Really great points, Melissa. Um, I think it's so important to get everyone on board with what's happening. And I think like you said, is the why, and you know, we're having these difficult conversations with folks um, about reducing square footage, you know, going to smaller spaces, you know, so the last thing that we want these employees to think is that we're just cutting costs, you know, and we're just going to a smaller footprint to save money and um, on real estate 
And I think that, you know, while that may be a little bit of a driver in the background, you know, I think the conversation needs to be very open about that, not just, um, you know, on the benefits and things that you're talking about, but spatially too, and what those benefits are to, you know, those folks that are coming back in. Um, one of the things that I was um, just thinking about as you were talking was um, those moments between meetings or between things, um, some things that you might not think about is technology and having those variety of spaces. So when we have these conversations with clients, that's awesome. I love the idea of starting the meeting a little bit late or condensing the time a little bit, but you know, why are they running so late already? Is it did they have to spend 10 minutes hooking up to the TV that's in the room? Um, did they have to go find a space? Could they not reserve it? You know, and so when you get, you know, beyond some of these um, emotional things, there actually are some pretty tangible elements that could help mitigate, you know, some of that stress and anxiety that comes with not only coming back to the office, but even just hopping on a Zoom, maybe with folks that are in the office. And so now as we hybrid, that's going to be another challenge is that one person that's still working at home how are we inclusive with them in a meeting? You know, are they now just um, a second class citizen on the Zoom like they were, you know, two years ago when you had one person sitting in and everyone else at the table? So how are we transforming the space and technology more than anything else to make everyone feel inclusive? You know, does it feel like we're all sitting at the table together? And um, I think that will, you know, as people kind of Think about some of those elements too behind the scenes that will help mitigate, like I said, some of that anxiety um, around, you know, coming into the workplace and, you know, reinitializing a lot of these relationships with everyone that's kind of fallen to the wayside. Yeah, I think all of that is really good information. You know, I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, we all know companies that are really doing some great work in this area. We may have some people that are on um, participating with us today that maybe work in organizations where overall well-being just really isn't um, a focus or something that their company prioritizes. Um, how would you, you know, help that give some tips for that person to basically advocate for themselves or for this initiative um, so that maybe they can help start a change within their organization or just for themselves, frankly, to get the support that they need? I have lots of thoughts on the topic and ways to voice needs and pieces, but I think that, and I wanted to comment on one of the comments that came through the chat that kind of ties into your point, Michelle, is that for some people, it's just a trying time and it may not be ideal as much as we have these conversations and recognizing it. Sometimes it may just be starting the conversation, even though there's frustration that certain things can't immediately be addressed. I think what I've found working with a number of employees in the space when they're feeling overwhelmed, for instance, and there's so much that's on their plate, is there can be a way to have a conversation where you're coming to it with a problem-solving mindset and saying, okay, how can we work together, for instance, an employee talking to a manager and saying, right now there are so many tasks on my plate. I wanna to talk to you about the best way you'd like me to prioritize these tasks so that I can be the most effective. That's not coming across as weak or lazy or that you don't wanna do it, but it's also expressing that there are so many things that are going on right now. And I do, when we're saying that we have 10 priorities, there really aren't, there, there's 10, it's not, it's what should I prioritize and positioning it to a manager and saying, okay, there's these 10 tasks. How would you like me to prioritize these so I can be the most effective 
shows that you want to do your job well, you care about it, but you're also finding out what they want you to prioritize so that there's not that guessing game. Being able to set those, we talk about SMART goals, right? Things that are specific, measurable as best as we can, but also acknowledging that there's so much on the plate that we may not be able to get everything in a satisfactory manner as best as we want, but then we're not questioning and guessing. I'd like to hear what other panelists think about that. Um, I'll jump in there. I really agree with you, Dr. Melissa. I'll say that being clear as to what the expectations are, and I love that you're saying being clear on what the priorities are, are so important. Um, because of course, when our focus is um, going to be spread out across 10 different things, you're right, that's going to totally lead to um, feeling overwhelmed, um, not feeling good about the work that it is that we're doing because we're constantly trying to put out fires. Also, another thing that it is that I'm hearing um, to your point is that the target constantly keeps being moved, especially if you're in tech or in social media because things are moving so fast paced. Um, and so we, um, especially as leaders, uh, leaders need to understand that we're working at a human pace trying to keep up with technology. And so those expectations need to be need to be changed, especially um, if your staff is telling you this is too fast or they're not able to meet deadlines. So that needs to be a really candid conversation, I think. And what you're saying too is coming to it with that solution-oriented mindset saying, I do want to do these things because most people, they do want to value add. They do want to get their work done. Um, but we need to be realistic about what it is that we can produce, especially in this environment too. So how can we support those conversations? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just wanted to, to mention, to be real, what I've also seen a trend for is people making this decision, the decision to leave companies for other companies that may be supportive of that. So I think just being real with that, that if people may not feel anyone who's like in this space where they're building out programming, just know that there are people who are on the hunt for companies that may support that. And if you want to retain that talent, real conversations need to be had exactly what um, Dr. Melissa and Claudia are speaking about. So I just want to bring that realness to it because there's a lot of transitioning and shifts taking place. And I see it a lot with clients um, because they may have tried. They may have tried to see how they can have work-life integration and with short staffing. I know someone mentioned it in the chat that is short, being short on staff, but people even taking advantage of FMLA and leave and that can impact those who are left working. So yeah, those are all the things that I think we just people may be thinking about if it's still worth it for them. Mm -hmm. And just to um, add to it, Ariel, real quickly, just to add what she just said, something that popped up in my mind too was um, if you are on the hunt and looking for a different organization or a different job, make sure you're asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. um, I think so often in interviews, it's, it's the same stuff asked over and over again. Make sure you're really asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask about what is the office? What is the remote work culture? You know, what are what are they doing to promote employee well-being and balance? You know, ask them that actively. Do they have, have they considered that? Do they have that kind of stuff um, in the works? And what does that look like? Um, and even give you the opportunity to talk to other um, uh, employees that are already in that organization. Some panels allow you to speak to someone that's already you know, there and working so they can give you their insight. Of course, people are going to be biased, so just keep that up. And of course, you're never going to know until you really get into somewhere. Someone could tell you, you know, anything and everything that is, you know, rainbows and butterflies, and you really won't know until you get in there. 
Um, but at least be able to be proactive that before you leave your current situation, make sure you're asking the right questions so you're not getting yourself right back into a whole nother situation or even worse, because I have seen that happen for a couple of people is so quick to jump ship and then got onto another sinking ship. And so that's not, <laughs> that's not benefiting the corporation. That's not benefiting the person. That's not benefiting the economy or anything. And I just want to say the final point on that piece is uh, it's well studied and researched. It's, it's, it's very um, core evidence that healthy people produce more and better. They're creative. Uh, you're able to be more productive. You're able to be more collaborative and communicative when you're healthy. Um, so for organizations that are struggling with retention, think about where is your, where is your, what is your money lie? Um, and this is CEO coming out of me too. It's like, are you investing in the systems that are going to help you and your, and your company and your employees to succeed? Because your, your company won't succeed if you don't have the team. So are you investing in the systems that are going to allow your team to properly succeed for you? So then you're not struggling with trying to bring in revenue and all that. And I think that's something that in this new landscape that we're in, we, we can't afford to ignore that as CEOs, as C-level you know, C executives, as, as directors and VPs. You need to be asking in your budget, um, back to like discussing with the wellness dollars, but also understanding too, where are you investing in, in the people that work hardest for you? Um, and if you're lacking in that, then that might be, again, part of the issue. Yeah, I think really good insights for everyone. Um, I'm gonna share the results of our last poll. So which of the following to, to you would be the most important to implement in your work environment? Um, really the highest is give managers the tools and flexibility to promote well-being to their team. And certainly managers definitely have a huge impact um, on what the experience looks like for team members. So um, I'm not surprised by that. Um, as we kind of finish up our last few minutes of today's session, if maybe each of you would wanna share like a tip, a resource, a book, anything that you think would be helpful as people are looking at this whole person well-being approach um, that we could share with people today, that would be great. Yeah, I actually have two books that I want to share for my for my readers. Um, one is Workplace Wellness That Works by Laura Putnam, uh, and it's 10 Steps to Infuse Well-Being and Vitality into Any Organization. I love her perspective on how there's a shift and how we just think about well-being, you know, what, what it was 20 years ago versus what it is now. So I think it's very relevant, would definitely suggest this, as well as the Employee Well-Being Handbook which is a focus on building a culture of wellness within any organization. So the author here is Cassie Sobelton. Wonderful, thank you. Dr. Ray? Yeah, I just wanna encourage people to really, you know, use food as medicine, everyone. You know, make sure you're really fueling your body healthily with lots of fruits and vegetables, fiber saves lives, I'm telling you. You know, staying hydrated, drinking water. I know it's easy to want to, you know, reach for, you know, the stuff that's convenient, the fast food. But when you when you feel your body right, you think better, you feel better. Um, a lot of you know, the conditions and illnesses that we're going through, you know, that can be corrected um, from a foundational perspective, all in diet. So just remember that. Um, and even when you bring your lunch to work or eating remotely, make sure you're choosing something that's going to properly fuel you for success um, and not continue to keep you in this pattern of feeling burnt out and drained. Wonderful. Claudia? 
I want to recommend Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. It's Pleasure Activism, the Politics of Feeling Good. Um, I love the way that they reimagine how we uh, embody pleasure. It's a fun listen. Um, so I listen to it um, and I love it. So I really just want to re want to recommend y'all to check it out. Wonderful. Thank you. Christina? <laughs> I think I will just say quickly, kind of just to reiterate, you know, from our standpoint, um, if you are in a leadership position, listen, listen to your people and um, really listen to what it is they're telling you and not telling you about what makes them feel good about work and what their needs are. And um, there's a lot of things that the space can afford um, that can help really support um, and also promote well-being above and beyond all the emotional support and, um, you know, support that HR can give. And um, I think we need to take advantage of that. Wonderful. And then Melissa? So I'll say two things. One, as a sleep expert, I can't not comment on sleep, although I've been pretty quiet on it this whole time, but we know that it's such an important area of prioritizing that for ourselves. And when we feel so overwhelmed there's so much going on. We just spent a fraction of the time prioritizing, recharging our bodies and minds as we do is keeping our cell phones and our technology charged. It'd be amazing the impact that it can have for ourselves. But, and also of course, I'd love to say that we have a number of resources and Invista to help with the workplace well-being, to help with those opportunities and guides to voice needs and to be able to create that environment. So if there's anything that I can provide as free resources and pieces, I'd, I'd love to help with that as well. So thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on the panel with all these amazing, amazing individuals today. And hopefully I'm excited to hear feedback from all of our attendees. Please connect on LinkedIn. We'd love to help. And thank you for the invitation to be on this panel today. Thank you, and thank you so much to our amazing panelists. Um, it was great hearing all of your insights and for you taking some time out of your day to join us today. Um, also wanna say thank you to all that joined in today to listen um, and definitely encourage you to check out our nonprofit uh, partner, the American Cancer Society. And certainly as you go about your day, um, today, tomorrow, and into next week, Think about ways that you can incorporate whole person well-being into your organization. Thank you guys again for attending Work Now in the Future and hope you have a good rest of the day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.